0: 3 months ago 3:37 a.m. I wake up and my legs won't move. My arms don't respond. I start to panic and push harder, but my body remains still, unmoving, frozen. Feels like a heavy weight is strapped on my chest. Only my neck responds, barely, allowing me to see red clock numbers on the nightstand I want to call out I try to say help me help me but my lips won't move even my eyes have stopped blinking terror absolute utter and complete terror and I know there's such a thing as sleep paralysis my mother told me about it She said at night, the devil has dominion and evil takes control if you think the wrong thoughts. I had laughed at her then, mama. But when I turn my head and I see the man waiting in my chair, studying me, I can't laugh, I can't blink. I just wish I could remember How to pray. Today, we walk the dark path. We chase the long shadow from WNYC Studios and Snap Judgment's underground lair. It has returned. The amazing series that chains cannot hold. We proudly present Spoot 9. Trap. My name is Glenn Washington Be afraid listeners Sweet listeners Be afraid And don't turn out the lights Because spooked start. Of people, meaning inexplicable, in their own home, in the attic or under the bed. But this next tale that happens to our storyteller when he was very, very far from home. It takes place in Baghdad at a time when American troops were particularly unpopular in that city. A soldier named Dallas Sanchez has been deployed as part of a sniper kill team.
1: Baghdad, um, Baghdad was insane. Baghdad was really intense. Uh, Baghdad was just a constant sensory overload. Tons of extrajudicial killings. You could not leave the fob without finding like a dead body face down in a trash pile because there's no infrastructure. So talk about like the smell of the city. It smelled like death. It smelled like old death. This was the end of 06. The war had been going on for three years, and we were in a really hot area of operations. Can you describe your, where you lived normally? Was it, did you have like a room? Were you in a tent? Like, where are you living? It was so close to the green zone that it was a super, super cush fob. we actually had like barracks it's like a room maybe a 10 by 12 foot rectangle we decorated it i had my little bed actually had a lou reed live in berlin poster when you're in the service not just downrange i think that those little living spaces it feels like a cocoon you know it feels like you're a little bit safer this was around um, christmas time uh in o six and uh like the mission that we were out on was a concurrent s k t so
0: and what's an s k t
1: sorry s k t or a small kill team or sniper kill team like the basic tactic would be we would leave the fob very, very late at night in trucks roll around the neighborhood with the lights out. For several hours, the trucks would slow down to a crawl, and we would try and, like, uh, silently open the rear doors, just a dismount from the truck without slamming anything or making any noise. Walk through the neighborhood as stealthily as you can. We reach, like, the target house. Basically, from there, you just, just break in and then uh, set up a hide, and just pull overwatch over the sector and just wait basically for someone to do something uh, grimy, like digging a hole to bury an IED, and then uh, we'd respond accordingly. Anyways, yeah, we would have probably at least six hours notice that we were going to be stepping off. Generally, before heading out on a mission, were there
0: particular things that you would fear? Like, do you remember anything about those moments?
1: But I can remember one time, and it ended up becoming a pre-mission ritual, because Pelkey had a really great sound system, and he'd be like, dude, we're about to get pumped up for this mission. Press play. Benny and the Jets at 50 decibels, just cranking that out. Benny and the Jets became our anthem. You pack up, like, your, 120 pounds worth of kit and scramble to the top of the truck, get your weapon mounted. I was a gunner. I had my head up out the top, just uh, scanning, scanning like a maniac. When you're moving across open ground while scanning, sweating profusely, I mean, like, I, I know this is public radio, so this analogy would probably never make it on air, but it really is like just doing a fat rail To have eight guys moving in a, in a file uh, through a neighborhood, it's, it's the point of the mission where you're most exposed, where you're most vulnerable. You have to maintain almost complete silence because aside from the sound of the wind, maybe some dogs barking, there is no sound. Like So for 72 hours straight, it's like basically like uh, being in church because any sound could like compromise you and potentially get everybody that you love killed. Okay, at the moment that this story takes place, how long had you been in country or how many of these missions had you been on? So this was probably the seventh or eighth mission that I'd been on. The mission started out typically... It felt completely the same as any other mission. So it's probably like around midnight or one or two o'clock in the morning, we approach the building, and before I've even gotten like a chance to drop my ruck, like my best friend comes up to me, and uh, he just looks really shooken up. And he's like, dude, there is something wrong here. There's just something bizarre. So immediately walking in this place, the first thing that I noticed was the sound. This dissonant noise. It sounded almost like a a broken radio in a room down the hall just completely atonal, an entirely disquieting, unwholesome sound. It almost sounded like a a congregation of whispers. Like... Thousands of voices trying to communicate something, but in a completely nonsensical way. And that really was the the point where I felt like something was really different this time. I decided that, you know, I was gonna look around some of the upper floors. So, as I was walking around like that, the second story, I came into this one room that it was completely stripped bare, simple cement floor. I don't know what drew my attention to it, but I turned to face the interior wall and just saw that the wall was pockmarked with bullet holes, with rounds so i was standing there looking at these pockmarked walls it just seemed like something wasn't right that these they weren't typical and uh, my squad leader had showed me this like pencil trick you can insert like a pencil in into like small arms fire against a wall it'll tell you like the direction that the fire had come from so this being the second story I put the pencil into the wall and it's uh, parallel to the ground, just sticking in. Like it meant that those shots had been fired straight across. As Soon as I stuck that pencil in, everything fell into place. This had to have been a kill room. Like they had to have lined people up in here and just executed them. And I just felt a little heave in my stomach. Standing in a kill house. Instantly just felt like the walls just collapsed in on themselves, felt really claustrophobic. And I just needed to get the f- out of the room. It seemed like there was a malign presence there that was trying to get somebody killed. And it was totally inexplicable. You have to imagine that all of this is under the backdrop, under the soundtrack of this just discordant noise. Just this ever-present, oral presence?
0: This feeling that you were feeling, what, were all the guys feeling that and was that like a palpable kind of like anxiety in the air?
1: There's like a, there's an undercurrent of tension. It wasn't like uh, we all huddled together in a circle and are trading this back and forth. It was people would pair off with their best friend and be like, dude, you would not believe what just happened. Nobody's going to talk about that because you're showing weakness. I think that if one person were to stand up and be like, guys, this is kind of scary, we would have ripped them apart. So we were left with all of this downtime. And so you have now like half a dozen 20-year-old children, and one of the number one pastimes on these SKTs is looting. Someone is like, hey, there's a storage unit down on the first floor. And that immediately became something that all of us jumped onto because it it gives you a chance, I guess, like um, to prove that you're not afraid of no ghosts, to prove that, that you're not scared. As soon as that call goes out, like, yeah, no, what, yeah. Yeah, hell yeah, man, I'll, I'll, I'll root through these peoples that I have no business in. It's almost like a, an affront to whatever was there. It was just like a, a gated-off uh, unit uh, on the first floor and uh, walked over there. Like a gated-off room? Would that be right? Yeah, basically like a storage space. I mean, exactly like a storage space. And there's just a very simple, symmetrical wrought-iron gate on front. Those wrought-iron gates are so loud that three of us walked up and got really low to the ground and just grabbed the gate on the bottom and just lift a quarter-inch and then quietly walk backwards so that the gate's not rubbing against the ground so that it wouldn't be loud at all. We had left the gate like propped all the way open. So I think about half a dozen of us go into this uh, storage unit, upturned tables, chairs, clothing, decorations, silverware, all kinds of things. It smells like dust, old, and it's pitch black, and the only light in this storage area is coming from our little, uh, our little red tack lights. It's already like three layers of spooky. Like we couldn't even use our nods in this space, our night vision goggles, because it's so dark, there's so little ambient light. And nods are really for looting anyways, because, uh, you know, you really want to, yeah, you know, there's a, there's an art to this <laughs> deplorable practice. The only sound is like a uh, light rustling. I'd picked my way probably two-thirds of the way back into the storage unit, and uh, I find this cardboard box with a couple of cheap little paintings in it one of just a like a pastoral landscape with a creek in it. So it's like, oh, these are gonna look amazing in my room. Then I turned, after finding them immediately, I turned to my left to show off my bounty, was just met with pitch darkness, just, just blackness. There was no one else in the room. I was completely alone and I didn't feel like I had tunneled out on these paintings I mean this wasn't like the Mona Lisa it wasn't like I was you know just drinking in starry night with my eyes I was just like huh these are neat paintings hey check out the oh I'm alone makes no sense as to how six guys were able to creep out of a room You couldn't step on the floor because of all of this furniture, all of the crap. Immediately, I feel like a leaden weight in my stomach. I just steeled my nerves, put my paintings, tucked them under my arm, and started trying to quietly move towards that gate. I'm climbing over this stuff meticulously, but the entire time, I just want to run. By the time I got to the front gate, I had really worked myself up into a froth. I was really terrified. I just wanted to get out of there as quickly as I could. And I get up there to the gate, and the gate is closed. I get low and lift and start trying to push it open, and it just feels like it's sealed, like it's been, like, concreted in place. But I was not going to cry out. I stood there waiting for a solid two to three minutes, which probably doesn't sound like that long of a time, but when you're sealed in a foreign space with, like pitch blackness behind you and the weight of the entire mission security hinging on you forcing this gate open, it felt like an eternity. There was like a fear welling up in me because there's so many different layers of danger to this locked behind a steel gate in an extremely dangerous area and being muzzled, like effectively muted.
0: Our story continues right after this break, but know this. If you dig storytelling with a supernatural bent, subscribe to the all-new season of Snap Judgment Presents Spooked. Amazing stories told directly by the people that live them. Available right now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Dallas Sanchez continues his amazing story right after this brief message. Stay tuned. snap judgment, spooked nine, trapped. When last we left, Dallas Sanchez is part of an SKT, a small kill team in Baghdad. He's out in the middle of the night on a mission in an abandoned building. In the past at time, Dallas and some of the guys in his crew are looting the place. And suddenly Dallas finds himself separated from his team and trapped behind an iron gate. Spooked.
1: The neighborhood where we were in Baghdad, Aldora, they're like uh, death squads basically roving the neighborhood and if they saw someone alone, they'd just yoke them up, take you to the nearest trash pile and uh, put two rounds into the back of your head. But I caved, I broke. I was like, I don't care. At this point, I'm gonna Gorilla Grodd this gate open. I grabbed the gate with both hands and just shoved it as violently as I could and nothing. It felt like shoving on a brick wall. I remember shaking a little bit. I turned my light off and I stood there like at the mouth of that gate. So I could see into the opening of the courtyard where there's a little bit of moonlight casting a shadow. So, and that's the only light source at this moment, I can remember consciously not wanting to look back. I had like a sweat coming out of every pore in my body. Because you can't like pant. You can't like, like a dog be scared or whatever in, in situations like that. Like silence is so important. So it's like a controlled hyperventilation. that I'd lost my nerves such that I would compromise our SKT just speaks volumes about how terrified I was. I was the alternate gunner for our squad, and I had the squad automatic weapon, the casualty-causing weapon, on the battlefield. Ruled between 8 and 1,000 rounds, armed to the teeth, against any physical threat, but in this instance, it's completely worthless. I felt really powerless. Whatever was there, whatever was lingering in that space just did not want us there. Especially with us down there, rooting through all of their stuff, it was just wrong. Whatever was there wanted all of us out. I stood there for maybe 30 seconds, and I just gave up hope and just resigned myself to the fear. And the gate just drifted open. Just completely silently, just like on well-oiled hinges, the gate just drifts open right in front of me. And I thought I had chills before. I thought that I was scared before. But in that moment, it just... I just could not explain what would cause that thing to drift open. It just wanted us gone. Like, at, at the end of the day, when we went in there, it's with a malicious intent. Like, uh, we're we're set up in the building, just uh, an invisible force waiting for someone to violate, like, a... Uh, the rules of engagement so that we could kill them so i came out of that gate in a mixture of rage and terror and immediately sought out like my best friend to just unload on him and i get to him and i was like in a whisper in in whisper mode like what the hell is wrong with you, dude? Why would you do that? But he had no idea what I was talking about. As far as he was concerned, we went in, checked it out. Everybody came out, all in together. And that was it. At this point, I'd been in the building for maybe eight hours. I'm ready to go home now. This has very not been a pleasant experience for me. I imagine that for some people it would be really easy to dismiss this like as nerves or you know like the stress like of battle yeah trauma things like that but the thing to keep in mind about that is this was one of maybe 50 missions that I went out on but nothing ever like this nothing ever that came so close that was so blatant like a a force so, as the sun comes up, the gun trucks pull up, and we exit the building. This is how just stupid you are at 20 years old. Those paintings, they stayed in my rook. I brought those things back. So, I'm back in my room, in the barracks, and uh, take these things out. And I'm like, hey, check out these cool paintings that I got. And uh, Kagoni, our platoon medic, is in there and he's like, I I would very much like to have that. And I'm like, no way, dude. Nope. This is my decoration. I went through the haunted house for this. This is my prize. I am keeping it. Thank you, sir. So KG leaves and uh, Sam comes in, one of our Terps, one of our interpreters, Sam. And I was like, what the hell is up with that place, dude? Like it's really, really weird. And he's like, oh yeah, like that place is unclean. I was like, well, what do you mean? It's unclean. He's like, very many people died in that building. So it's unclean and no one goes there. And when he said that, it really uh, brought home to me what had happened. And it's such a thing to admit it's like such such a bad thing but i picked up that painting and i was like hey do you guys know where kagoni went like i want to you know and i found kg and i was like here man i know this is really special to you i'd really like for you to have this and i gave it away
0: did part of you any part of you feel proud of this
1: force or this spirit for um for fighting back in a way that? that had no military um, weakness. That wouldn't come until way, way later. Now, looking back all of these years later, I have a lot of respect for whatever that thing was. It was able to scare me. I felt like anyways, like I I got my comeuppance. Five months after this whole episode in uh, May, is when I got hit by a V-bed, or car bomb. And uh, even the fear was not as scary as that experience for the simple fact that I felt like if I caught a round in the noodle, I'd be dead. If I got ripped apart by an explosion, I'd be dead. But whatever was inside of that structure... It felt like if you were to die in its presence that it would have like a completely different set of consequences than if you were to die just an uh, out insect or somewhere. Like uh, you could become like uh, trapped. <laughs>
0: Sanchez for sharing your story with us. Dallas also wanted to thank his family and Suzanne for encouraging him to share his stories. Dallas is a Snap listener and we love it when listeners share their stories with us. If you have a terrifying tale to tell, drop us a line, spooked, at snapjudgment.org. That original soundscape was composed and performed by Leon Morimoto. The story was produced by Anna Sussman. forget there are more tales of the supernatural where this came from an all new season of the amazing podcast snap judgment presents spooked awaits you right now real stories real people be afraid spookpodcast.org hit us on the facebook snap judgment and twitter snap judgment this episode was produced by the team that fears no evil Please burn a candle in his name But U producer Mr. Mark Ristich Pat Mercedes Miller Never sleeps Anna The eye suspect Renzo Gorio knows the future Leon Morimoto Has seen the past Liz Matt Howls at the moon Adiza Egan Howls At Liz Mack Shayna Shealy Carries garlic Teo Ducat Does not talk And Jasmine Aguilera Crystals Next week You'll hear it here The dark finale Spook 10 Be afraid Tis the season And even though This is not the news No way This is the news In fact you could wake up Wearing someone else's body Placing your feet Into someone else's shoes Speaking someone else's words Only to see yourself Walk by And smile Smile even then, you would still not be as far away from the news as this is, but this is WNYC.